From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. I can virtually guarantee that we're not going to make sense of the legislative endgame here in the next uh, 20, 25, 30 minutes or so, but I guarantee that I will shoehorn in some gratuitous (laughs) references to Weezer and the Pixies because they're playing in Napa tonight, and I'm going. But let's first of all try to make sense of what's going on at the legislature because the legislature is uh, still here. It's like the Energizer Bunny, right? It keeps going and going and going. As we record this on Friday morning, uh, the 89th day of the legislative session, I am happy to report it will not adjourn today. It will continue into next week. Uh, We know for sure that it will be the longest legislative session since 2009. So congratulations, everybody. Good news. We did it. Um, but and, and getting a legislative session into the 90s and 90 plus days, I mean, that in itself is a, an homage to Weezer, I suppose. You know, yeah. we're, we're celebrating the 90s. The dream of the 90s is alive at the legislature. Yeah. We got, Kevin, we got some closure on most of the big outstanding education issues this year, particularly the school funding formula debate, which we'll get to in just a second. There's a couple odds and ends out there um, that are awaiting a vote. But the thing that's really keeping the legislature in town and has been keeping the legislature in town the past couple weeks really doesn't have anything to do with education, but it gave cover for these education debates to keep playing out. But it's things like Medicaid expansion, uh, the ballot initiatives bill, which is on its way to Governor Little's desk. Hemp. Hemp is back. Hemp is back. Conformance with the Farm Bill, uh, which has been a real riddle for the legislature this year. This House-Senate tussle over office space and yeah. what to do with the treasurer's office in the first floor of the state house, which, you know, which flared up on and the Senate floor And that's bizarre that that's become such a public spat, but that's absolutely what it is. They're sending press releases and making statements, and there's a budget that was killed. Uh, but because... Really, a bunch of Republicans uh, can't pick the offices that they want in the state capitol building. Uh, There's a big fight going on about it, and press releases flying left and right. A $10 million budget uh, was killed by the Senate, which would have paid for renovations and new office space acquisition. So the House could move from cubicles to actual office space, uh, but that bill is dead. But those are some of the things that are keeping us there, not the education issues that we've followed so closely all session. So education issues moving into the background this week especially, but not entirely. I mean, we saw a movement on on one bill in particular. I mean, that was the most, uh, the one thing that was sort of left to be resolved was this funding formula debate, which kind of hung over education circles all year. You know, it had really been going on for three years with the interim committee developing the recommendations to ditch the 25-year-old attendance-based funding formula and replace it with an enrollment-based model where the money would follow the student. That proposal is dead. The full-blown rewrite is dead this year and has been dead for a couple of weeks. But we did see this last-ditch effort. We call it a pared-down funding formula bill or the funding formula light. Mm -hmm. And it's definitions and reporting requirements uh, for school districts. And that thing was put on a fast track and did pass. It's passed both the House and Senate now. It's heading to uh, Governor Little's desk. Um, and the Senate quickly made quick work of that, I want to say, on, on Wednesday. Right. It went through the committee, and then it went on the Senate floor all in the same day. I mean, they, they, worked, they worked it through in one, one quick day. Yeah, and this was a couple of freshman senators uh, who worked with a couple members of the House. But Senators uh, Dave Lent, Republican from Idaho Falls, 
uh, and Jim Woodward, Republican from Sagal, uh, really got this done after it seemed like the session was in danger of adjourning without anything happening on the funding formula. And what they're saying is this new bill is to try and inform an attempt to come back next year and do the full-blown rewrite with maybe a little bit more valid data and some definitions that have been standardized. We did see, though, there were some concerns about the workability uh, and the validity of these definitions and data reporting requirements. Mm-hmm. And so you know, even that bill had you know, a couple issues and concerns. They hope to iron it out through the rulemaking process. There may need to be a signed letter from the Education Committee saying that, no, we're not, or the Attorney General perhaps may need to weigh in, yeah. uh, saying, no, we're not looking to change the minimum salaries on the fly this year. And that was a sticking point because the bargaining negotiations are going on right now or, or will soon be beginning between school districts and the uh, local teachers' unions, basically. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that bill has passed. Uh, it's some new definitions, and it all has to do with tracking enrollment definitions and numbers so that theoretically come back for the 2020 legislative session and try again and maybe have more concrete data and better data than some of these spreadsheets, which we saw this year, which were kind of estimates and guesstimates, but the numbers Sort of kept apples changing. and oranges yeah. and a couple of years worth of data being kind of, kind of crammed together into the spreadsheet. So the, the idea is to get sort of a consistent set of data, a consistent snapshot, so that uh, they have one set of numbers to work off of. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there was this sense about, I, I think Senator Dave Lint had a good quote, you know, we didn't get it all the way finished this year. We didn't get the funding formula rewritten. But what he said was, this isn't a touchdown, but we're still putting points on the board. So maybe more like a, a stepping stone or a moral victory uh, kind of approach this year. Right. And, and with the expectation that this legislature will come back in 2020 and try to take more of a, a full-blown look at the uh, at the funding formula, at the funding formula rewrite. So, you know, Really, it kind of, you know, that was the last big education topic that we've been watching this legislative session. And and now that one goes to Governor Little's desk. Uh, now we're really just kind of looking a lot at sort of some of the odds and ends, some of the smaller pieces of legislation that are still out there. As of Friday morning, and, and we do expect the House might come back Friday morning, but as of the time we record this, still awaiting a vote on the State Board of Education's fiscal year 2020 budget. That budget's already been killed once this year. Uh, it's been waiting for a vote the past couple of days and sort of got pushed to the back burner uh, as the Medicaid uh, and hemp discussions uh, really flared up. Also, uh, still waiting to see if the legislature will approve a new legislative interim committee to study the state's methodology for funding construction and maintenance of school buildings. Mm-hmm. Sounds similar, but a little bit different uh, than the overall funding formula. It's an important distinction. Uh, we're waiting to see if the legislature will authorize that new interim committee. Right. Those and are the, the main and the things. Senate has approved that interim committee, but the House still has to sign on, so that's what Correct. we're waiting on at yep. this point, which could happen today. It may have happened by the time you're listening to this podcast, but at the rate things are going at the legislature, maybe not. I mean, it, you know, things are things are undone in a lot of uh, a lot of areas. Yeah, things are undone, and so we know the session will continue into next week. Uh, indications are they could wrap up by say midweek next week, but it's not really education issues holding them up. And for the most part, other than that budget bill and the 
questions surrounding the new interim committee. Pretty much know where things stand in terms of education. I think obviously the highlights were pretty much done in the budgets. Mm -hmm. uh, when you talk about teacher pay and raises and raising the minimum salary, uh, those were some of the big issues. But that's been settled for weeks at, at this point. And, and maybe symbolic of kind of where this legislative session stands right now. Uh, Governor Little on Thursday, he signed... Uh, the second half of the legislative package to increase teacher salaries, to, the, to increase the minimum teacher salary to $40,000 over the next two years. The bill to pay for it. The, the bill to pay for yep. it, the spending bill. Uh, signed it into law on Thursday to the surprise of nobody right. <laughs> because this was one of his major initiatives and he had already signed the policy Kinda bill. Kind of obligated to. So this was just, you know, signing on to the, the money aspect of the bill. Um, the money aspect of the change, signed it into law, uh, tweeted out a photo of yeah. himself. Yeah. Not a selfie. I think uh, he's got people for this. So he had a photo of himself uh, signing the bill into law, uh, tweeted it out, and pretty quickly uh, several folks uh, tweeted back at the governor saying, okay, that's great. Now, would you please veto these two bills on uh, rewriting the initiative process? So, I mean, that kind of tells you where the legislative uh, energy is where, where the oxygen in the room seems to oh, be, yeah. uh, uh, you know, focused on. It, it is not about education issues at this point. It's about you know, you know the initiative bills. It's about the Medicaid uh, bill that came up again on the, the House floor late Thursday afternoon. Now goes back to the Senate for another round of perhaps amendments. Yeah, it's it's really not an education session at this point in time. No, and, and I mean it, it's not it's not even so subtle where things stand. If you happen to walk by the state capitol building earlier this week, there was a giant green van parked directly in front of the state house that said "Veto Senate Bill 1159" right on the mm -hmm. front. And so, uh, not such a subtle reminder of of what the big issue is uh, today. Uh, but we think we know where things stand on on education issues. Somewhat of a quiet year outside of the uh, budget proposals. That was a little bit to be expected with the, uh, the new governor, uh, Governor Little, taking over him being in his first year. Uh, kind of a, a low-key year because he wants to, and we will see this happen this summer, get a task force together to study education issues. He's actually going to have two kind of working groups, a task force on education and then sort of an overall children's task force, uh, which would make recommendations that could apply to education or health care or any number or foster care any number of issues but uh, so I think he's really looking to wait and build some consensus on some of the heavier lifts on some of the bigger reform type changes didn't see a lot happen with higher education this year for no instance. no it was a fairly quiet uh, year on the higher education front uh, you know not a move towards uh, changing that funding model either there had been talk and the state board had been on board with the idea of trying to go with more of an outcomes based funding model for higher education. Uh, Governor Little wants to study that. He wants to put that off for a year. So that was set aside. And that was already set aside kind of the year before, right. too. I mean, this has um, kind of had its origins from uh, Governor Otter's higher education task force from a couple of years ago now. So really, I mean, when you recap the session on the education front, where I think Governor Little did succeed was in kind of making some incremental steps towards some proposals and some initiatives that we've already seen support for in the past. And I think I've kind of said this in, in the podcast before, but I think it does bear repeating that a lot of the initiatives that Governor Little pushed for this year in education and got traction on this year in education 
are ideas we've seen before. The idea of putting more money into teacher salaries, well, the legislature has been working on that for five years and has been increasing the minimum salary. This kind of kickstarts that. More money into literacy, the, the doubling of that budget uh, for literacy. Well, the legislature has been putting money into this literacy initiative uh, for a couple of years now. So uh, what Little wanted to do was, was take a, a you know, put more money into it and, mm -hmm. and make more of a concerted push. Opportunity scholarships, the scholarship are expansion. There. I mean, these are, these are not new initiatives uh, coming from out of the blue. They are continued uh, efforts. And, and really, you know, the, the incremental nature of the session is kind of also embodied by what we saw with funding formula light. I mean, you know, the legislature didn't try to do, well, they tried, but they mm -hmm. did not uh, rewrite the funding formula in one session. So, you know, the, the definitions bill, the data bill, you know, it's, you know, it's, it, it's a, a step. Yeah, it, uh, one step, and I think one step of many, and a stepping stone is, is very much how they're looking at it. And it's kind of a, I mean, it's like the point you just made, but that's sort of like a, uh, a symbol of this whole session, right? Just a stepping stone. One more step on the path, uh, but a small one, perhaps. So a lot of it done and dusted on education. We will keep an eye on the uh, remaining, remaining days of the legislative session. We won't be covering Medicaid or the initiative bills as closely as, uh, as our friends at... Uh, Friends in the State House Press Corps, Betsy Russell, Idaho Public Television, uh, Boise State Public Radio, all, all the folks there, they're, they're, they're gouging away on these topics. Yeah, not, not getting a lot of sleep, I'm afraid. No, no, no. Uh, they're having a harder time of it than, uh, than we are. But, uh, and doing some great work. Doing some great work. A lot of, a lot of talented folks out there to, uh, to follow for sure. If you are interested in the end game as it relates to Medicaid or perhaps hemp, uh, those are two of the big issues that, uh, as of Friday, are still waiting to be resolved. Uh, you kind of had an opportunity, as the legislature slowed down on education issues, to sort of take a step back and look at other issues. You had a big report published late this week about Idaho's $40 million stake in charter school buildings, uh, something you took a close look at. Um, what was the story, and, and what were the numbers that you were tracking? Well, this is something I've been curious about really for the past few years, because when we, our first year, our first legislative session here at Idaho Ed News, uh, the legislature passed a bill that was a fairly groundbreaking bill uh, law now that uh, puts state dollars into charter school building projects, and it's a direct payment to charter schools to help support building projects. What I wanted to do with the story was sort of bring readers up to date about the growth of this program because the the line item for charter school facilities has increased each year from 2013 to uh, the budget that's now been crafted for next year the line item that is in place for next year this has gone from about a two million dollar uh, state expenditure the first year it's going to be 8.8 .8 million dollars in the upcoming budget year too early to tell how that gets divvied up amongst the charter schools across the state. But that number has increased every year. It's a really complicated formula. I tried to simplify it as best I could in the story. So if you go to ednews.org, I, I try to walk you through how this arithmetic works. It's really complicated. But the bottom line of it is it's a program that has grown and it's kind of built to grow. So this is a line item that's apt to continue to grow. And what I did also was try to look at what does this meant for some of the charter schools around the state. The prevailing message that I got from them is that this has helped. It's covering some of the building costs for charter schools. It does not cover the entire 
building cost for charter schools. So, so why does all this matter? Why are charter uh, administrators so concerned about this? It's an issue that's really as old as charter schools in the state. Yeah. Um, charter schools do not have the ability to tap into local property taxes to pay for buildings. That's what traditional public schools have done you know, for over a century. That's, they don't also you know, have uh, school board members who are popularly elected either. Well, right, but, and, and yes, there, there's that. So the, the difference, though, is that while school boards can indeed go to local property taxpayers and say, we need X million dollars for a bond issue, we need a, you know, Y million dollars for a plant facilities levy for upkeep, you still have to get voter approval from yeah, all that. Yeah. And that's not a done deal, especially when you need a two-thirds supermajority to pass a bond issue. The money that the charter schools are getting, which is divvied up based on their enrollment and it's based on all of these calculations to, to figure out how big the line item is going to be, that money just comes in. You know, the, you know, the charter schools don't have to go to patrons and explain, well, this is what we need it for, this is what we're using it for, this is the building project we have in mind, this is the roof that we need to replace or the gym floor that we need to replace or on down the list. So it's it's... I, I don't want to say that it's on autopilot, but it kind of is compared to like a bond issue or a plant facilities levy. You know, that money is coming in uh, on a year to year basis. It's one of those many line items, you know, and as we've you know, covered this whole funding formula debate, the question of which of these education line items would you keep separate and continue yeah. to fund and which would you get rid of and just plow the money back into the overall funding formula. This, as I recall, is one of those line items that would have remained in place in those funding formula bills that didn't pass. So it gives you a sense maybe of where, the, where some key legislators stood when they were starting to figure out, well, which, which line items do we maintain? You know, which uh, funding mechanisms do we keep in place? This is one that, you know, we'll, we'll watch as we see the funding formula issue play itself out. So anyway, I, I was really interested in trying to run people through the numbers, run people through the, through the growth of the program and sort of where it leaves charter schools in the process of trying to pay for facilities. Well, and it is interesting when you talk about the facilities funding because you mentioned it's almost as if that program is on autopilot, whereas if you look at the dynamics of a traditional public school district, they have boards that are popularly elected, like we mentioned, and they go to voters, like you mentioned, to approve bond issues or supplemental levies. And the voters have the say. They can say yes or no to the bond or the supplemental levy. And they can also vote out or recall board members if they're not happy with how the money is being spent or the direction the district is going. And so that's layers that aren't in place for charter schools. And I think, as you mentioned on the pod last week or the week before, this whole session was quietly a big year for charter schools in a way. Outside of the big ticket items like the public school budget, uh, the fifth year of the career ladder and the raising of the minimum teacher salaries, there were a number of bills that were looked upon very favorably, especially by the House Education Committee, that had to do with giving more flexibility to charter schools, um, trying to help them secure better bond ratings, trying to uh, give them more flexibility to hire administrators who have perhaps no educational experience mm -hmm. whatsoever. Um, so... And, and uh, it, they didn't always like make a huge rift with all of these bills, but you know, week after week, there were charter bills circulating and advancing this session. And, and I think that's where this story that I did on Thursday, where it kind of comes full circle. Yeah. You know, I spoke to Ken Burgess, who was the lobbyist who worked on the 
the charter facilities payment law in 2013. And he said, you know, back then there was talk about can we get the state to in some way back charter school financing, charter school uh, you know, you know, mortgage payments on, on buildings. Yeah. And at the time there was really, he said, not much appetite within the legislature to do that. Well, now here we are in 2019 and that issue has reemerged and now is law. You know, Governor Little on Wednesday signed this, signed this bill into law, I have that on my blog, which does just that. It, it creates this, again, it's a very complicated mechanism and there are several tiers to it. But at the end of the day, what it does is it says that the state has taken on what's described as a moral obligation to come in at the last resort if a charter school fails to make its payments on a on a project. A new fund that is kind of like a safety net. It, it's a new fund that's kind of a safety net. It's funded through the charter schools right now. It's possible that the state could put money into these funds down the road. That's not happening this year. We're likely to see a proposal for that, or at least a motion I, I, for I would, that, uh, as soon as next year. I, I would be surprised if we didn't. I have no intel to suggest that. I would just be surprised if there wasn't some push at some level to see if the state wants to put some money into uh, this fund to to supplement it. So what you've had is kind of this full circle where the charter community has decided this is an approach that they want to see the legislature get behind, and the legislature indeed got behind it. We've chronicled how quickly this became law. It passed both houses within a couple of weeks. Um, governor signed it a few days after that, expressed some reservations, but said, you know, Really, we're not mandated to do this. It's going to, if it ever comes to it, it would come to the legislature and the governor to decide what to do if there is a failure. Um, and I suppose it's a different approach to uh, helping out charter charter schools with their facilities needs in the sense that this would not help every charter school. The fund that I talked about and wrote about on Thursday, every school gets a, a slice of that money. Right. So you've actually seen a small amount of that money has gone to charter schools that have since gone gone out of business. Yeah. So, and some of it has gone to charter schools that we've chronicled are uh, facing some real scrutiny over their finances, uh, like the charter schools in Blackfoot, like the Village Charter School in Boise. They've received a share of the state funding. The whole moral obligation law, now that it is a law, it's the advocates say it's designed to help charter schools that have matured They've been in place for a couple of years. They have you know, strong academic standing. They have strong financial standing. Uh, the idea is you're trying to help charter schools that are already fairly stable and help them try to uh, save some money on interest and have some more money to put into classrooms. So it's one we're going to have to watch very closely. I'm really, yeah. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how much this is used and how successful it is or if you know some of these... Uh, you know, worst case scenarios that we've seen spelled out in the legislation, whether any of that ever comes to pass or comes close to, to coming to pass. So it's one of those, you know, whenever we come out of a legislative session, I feel like we have a list of topics to watch closely in oh, yeah. the months and years to come. And I guess what I tried to do with this story on the, on the uh, $40 million was to take a step back. We're six years in. Where's the money gone? And what's been the impact? So anyway... Long story about a long story that you can read at idohadnews.org. 
Yeah, but it, it's good, good, good stuff, and, and that's a good place to find all of our stories. If you want to go a little deeper on something that we just mentioned on the podcast or maybe some of the things that we didn't get to on this week's podcast, two best ways are to head over to the homepage, www.idahoednews.org, and then if you're big on social media, to give us a follow on Twitter. That's at Idaho Ed News. Uh, we post some of our big stories there, live tweet the big meetings. It's a good way to, to stay in touch. That pretty much, I feel like, wraps it up with where we are in terms yes. of the legislative yeah. session, the legislative endgame, pretty much uh, know where things stand on education issues. Is there anything else uh, that we needed to get to this week that uh, that I'm overlooking? I think that's pretty much everything that I wanted to I, do. I think that kind of gets people caught up on the ongoing, never-ending legislative endgame, or so it seems, but we'll be watching it in the next few days, and, and hopefully... Next week will actually be the legislative session. The next week will actually be the podcast where we can put to rest the legislative session and say that this monkey's gone to heaven. Yeah, thanks. I for told the, you it was coming. Thanks for the Pixies <laughs> reference. Um, it's just a matter of time. I know you're excited for uh, tonight, so that's really cool. Glad I'm excited for the Pixies. I'm looking forward to Weezer. I think there's a distinction there. Okay, yeah. all right. That Weezer cover album. I don't know. It's. They've almost become this, like, parody band of late. But that's okay. Um, the Pixies is going to be a cool show and, for sure. You know, sometimes legislative debate is, is as unlistenable as that Weezer cover of TLC. No scrubs. I mean, a hard listen sometimes at the State House as well. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be back. Whatever happens with the legislative session, we will be back next week with another new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. We always have a lot of fun breaking down this intersection of policy and politics. So thanks for coming along for the journey with us each week. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week. <laughs>